listening to Audio Fanfic Podcast. North of Zero by Slippin' Mickey's. Chapter 5. The Overpass. The ankle hadn't needed setting, which Scully couldn't quite figure out. She'd heard the sound it made when the boy fell. But these days, she wouldn't look a gift horse in the mouth, and so she was quietly grateful. She splinted and taped it and gave the boy some anti-inflammatories and painkillers and a tin cup of water. He'd said he wasn't hungry. Mulder watched them silently from the bedroll he'd set up several feet away, his eyes wary and watchful. Scully got the boy comfortable and wrapped the wool Mackinac blanket around him. He was still wearing the cape she'd pulled from around her own shoulders, and she shivered in the chill of the shack. From the bed, the boy sighed and reached up to pull off the big wool hat that had been pulled low over his head. The glint of his copper locks shone off the lantern sitting in the corner of the small room, and Scully could hear Mulder inhale. When she connected eyes with him, he mouthed one word to her. William? Scully could only hold his gaze and try to breathe evenly. Since the attempted colonization of the planet, their roles had reversed. These days, it was Scully who wanted to believe. They would have to talk with William in the morning, and she was dying to discuss everything with Mulder out of earshot of the boy, but that wasn't possible in the tiny space of the shelter. She turned off the lantern. The boy sighed and settled into the cot, and she shrugged out of the bulky fleece she was wearing, kicking off her boots and sliding under the covers of the bedroll into Mulder's solid, warm side. Even now, every time she settled beside him, she felt as though they were two puzzle pieces cut with a machine. There was an ease that came over her when they were like this, a comfortable downshift. William's eyes followed her curiously, and she blinked at the boy once and then eased herself more firmly into Mulder's side. Mulder looped an arm around her waist and pulled her close. Sleep overtook her like fog settling into a valley. You could always feel it first. That was one thing they'd discovered. A deep vibration from the earth under you preceded the ships by roughly 15 seconds, just enough time, if you survive long enough to notice the pattern, to take cover. The ships, like the faceless men who flew them, seemed only able to sense the heat of a person, a thermal scan like that of old police helicopters, and only human-shaped blobs at that. The horses seemed a disregarded afterthought. It was the low vibration that woke her. She elbowed Mulder and shot to her feet, scanning for the heavy lead blanket they traveled with as Mulder came slowly to consciousness beside her. Mulder, a ship, she hissed, and she could see the glow of the scan rippling through the trees outside the shack's window. Mulder was on his feet seconds later, the lead blanket in his hands, his face set in a blank panic. He looked to the boy on the cot who was sitting up on his elbows, gazing at the shack's single, small window. Scully, it's not big enough to cover the three of us, Mulder hissed. The blanket was barely a twin, 
but anything bigger would be impossible to travel with, impossible to lift. Her stomach dropping, Scully looked to the cot. Maybe if we get on top of him, she said, adrenaline like quicksilver through her veins. William turned to them both and said with calm dignity, Cover yourselves. It can't see me. The scanning light was practically on top of them now, and Mulder threw the blanket over her and coiled himself around her back, pulling them both to the floor. There was a pulsing, rhythmic hum, and Mulder squeezed Scully with his body, trying to make their shape as small as possible under the heavy blanket. Mulder wasn't sure that they were going to get out of this, didn't know what it would be like when the faceless men came to take them, and the boy that might be their son. Was he their son? Was he just a boy in the wrong place at the wrong time with an unfortunate name? Mulder had seen the scanning light approaching the window, and had dived on top of Scully without a second thought to the boy, after he'd calmly told them not to worry about him. What kind of father did that make him? Even if the boy wasn't his, what kind of man did that make him? He tried not to contemplate it as the light passed over them and the small, rusty shack. The horses outside whinnied noisily. Mulder could hear Pumpkin, normally the most docile of any animal he'd ever met, stamping his feet and calling to his mate. Molly had a sixth sense about the faceless men's ships, something they'd used in the past to escape, and had likely hidden under the tree line, as far away as her halter would allow her. Scully's breathing was fast, quick little puffs of warm humidity into the skin of his neck. Her hand clutched vice-like around the fabric of the sheepskin fleece he'd worn to bed. The sound of the passing ship was muffled from where they lay under the lead blanket, and after a long minute, the trembling of the earth under them eased, and the night settled slowly back into silence around them. Normally, they would have waited several minutes more just to be safe, but Scully threw the blanket back in a wild thrash, the heavy cover slamming into the plywood table and knocking it on its side. Neither of them really noticed. Scully was on her knees instantly, her hands shooting out toward the lumped mound on the shack's cot. The boy's body is still as a grave. Mulder, the lantern, she said urgently, and against his better judgment, Mulder flicked the light on, the little kerosene wick hissing in the silence. In its feeble light, they could see the boy's prone form laying stock still on the camp bed, his eyes closed and his hands at rest in an X over his heart, like Bram Stoker's Dracula. William, Scully said, her voice containing a multitude of emotions to Mulder's trained ears, fear, shock, exhilaration. The boy's eyelids fluttered at her voice, and then slowly opened, his eyes nothing but white until his pupils and irises rolled slowly back into the frame of his open lids. He blinked several times and then took a slow inhale and came back to consciousness. Is it gone? The boy asked weakly, and then gave a barely perceptible smile when they assured him that the ships had gone by and that they'd remained undetected. He then feebly asked for water. Scully had to hold the tin cup to the boy's lips, and after a whispered thank you, he succumbed to his exhaustion. They met up with a young mother and daughter about two months out. They'd come across them under a freeway overpass in the driving rain in early October. 
the maples that lined I-290 outside of Buffalo just turning red. The pair was huddled together midway up the curve slant of pavement on the side of the road that banked up into the roadway above, and Muller and Scully had been so desperate to get out of the rain that they didn't see them at first and neglected to safety check the area as they normally would have. The woman and her daughter startled when they stumbled through the sheet of rain and into the cold, damp space, and the agents pulled up short. Whoa, Mulder said, his breath wafting up in front of him in a vaporized mist. I'm sorry to startle you. The woman and child, who looked to be about eight years old, her wrists and hands sticking out of a too small blue puffer jacket that was brown with grit at the elbows, looked alarmed, but didn't rise silently eyeing Mulder and Scully with fear. "'We won't hurt you,' Scully said reassuringly, raising a gentle hand. A brief stalemate of silence ensued, in which the two couples looked at each other warily, and Mulder took a step forward past Scully, swinging his pack to the ground. He was about to ask if they were hungry when he heard the sharp click of a pistol being cocked. He froze and felt Scully tense to the side and slightly behind him. That's far enough, came a gruff voice from the darkness above them, a form coalescing into the hunched shape of a man from atop the macadam, where the ramp of concrete met the bottom of the roadway above them. They're mine. Mulder's gaze darted to the mother who stared back, giving him a slight shake of the head. Then she mouthed very clearly, help us. The gunman slipped a few inches on the steep incline, the arm holding his weapon wavering a bit as he tried to catch his balance. Mulder briefly considered unslinging the rifle from his other shoulder and drawing on the man, but was pulled up short by the crack of the pistol firing, a divot of asphalt splintering the ground less than a foot from where he and Scully stood. Don't, the man said, sniffing and rubbing the back of a grimy hand over his nose. Slide the rifle here, he said coming to the bottom of the ramp where the concrete met the roadway. The man was thin, rangy, with greasy, stringy hair and a full dark beard, the whites of his eyes a shock at the top of his shadowy face. What the man didn't know was that Mulder had a Glock tucked into a holster in the back of his pants. As Mulder raised his free arm, he felt Scully reach out and unsnap the top of it, her movement as subtle as a breath. She had also seen the young mother mouth help, and he knew what she had planned. We don't want any trouble, Mulder said, taking a slight step further in front of her. The rifle, the man said, shoving the gun forward in space menacingly. Now. Okay, Mulder said, slowly pulling the rifle from his shoulder. Okay. It only took a second. Mulder bent over and placed the rifle on the ground, and then shoved it toward the man. It clacked loudly across the pavement. At the same moment that he bent over, Scully drew the handgun from Mulder's holster and raised it, quick as a whip, firing a shot through the eye of the gunman. The echoing boom punctuated by the dying clatter of the rifle as it settled at the man's feet, who crumpled a split second later, hitting the pavement with a wet, round thud. The mother and daughter's names were Rebecca and Jordan, and they would travel with Mulder and Scully for the next eight weeks, until they were caught in the beam of the faceless men's ship on a hillside in southern Ontario, never to be seen again. 
If you like this story, please follow the link to the writer's page and leave some love. Kudos, comments, or subscribe. They'll love hearing from you. Then you can head over to our Patreon page and contribute to Audio Fanfic Podcast. As a member, you are granted early access to one new story per month. That's www.patreon.com slash audiofanficpod. Thank you for listening, and remember, the stories are out there.